All right, so tonight, Wednesday nights, 2022, we're going to through a book of the Bible a week, give or take a couple. Um, so last week, we worked our way through the book of Leviticus, which brings us this week to the book of Numbers. Um, parenthetically, if, you're, if this is sort of your first attempt through the Bible and you're having like, a hard time keeping track of which book comes after which, um, just Google Books of the Bible, kids' song. There's about a thousand of them out there. They're all horribly cheesy. Um, the, the music is awful, but they will stick in your head, and you will learn the books of the Bible very effectively. And um, I don't know. I don't have a preference. I learned the Zondervan version as a kid, and so today, still, you know, I'm going to the Minor Prophets. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Yeah, Nahum. Okay. Um, so I still find my way through the Bible by that. So if you're, if you're having a hard time with the books of the Bible... A good cheesy kid song is a, is a great way to learn it. But um, tonight we find ourselves in the book of Numbers. And Numbers is a really, uh, it's a fascinating book of the Bible. I think short of Leviticus, it's probably the book of the Bible that mm, probably gets finished the least often, which is really, uh, really a tragedy because there's just a ton of stuff in the book of Numbers. And, um, you know, I think the first thing that makes it challenging is the title itself isn't super exhilarating, right? Uh, let's read a book about numbers. Like, yeah. Um, and then really the first few chapters aren't necessarily like a pep rally. But, um, but if it helps to think of it, you know, the book of Numbers, it's written by Moses. It's the fourth book of the five books that Moses wrote. Those five books are sometimes called the Pentateuch. Uh, so if you hear that reference, that's just referencing the first five books of the Bible, okay? Numbers is book four. But what's really interesting is, you know, we call it Numbers. Um, that wasn't even actually originally the name of the book. That's what it's been given over time. Um, but really, if you want a subheading for Numbers, okay, uh, the subheading is Preparing for War, which is a bit more captivating as far as your attention, right? Numbers is a book about preparing for war. And what we're going to see is, you know, we've talked about in Genesis, God set apart Abraham's descendants, right? And specifically through the line of Jacob, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. In Exodus, we see they've become a nation now, and the Lord brings that nation out of Egypt, and he's going to bring them from somewhere to somewhere. So we see promises that he's going to bring them into the promised land. Leviticus, he's given them some of just the practicals. Here's how you're going to function. Here's how you're going to serve me based on my holiness and your response to that, okay? Well, Numbers is, here's how you get ready to go into the promised land, all right, Numbers is preparation. The Israelites are going to go into the promised land. They're going to conquer the promised land. Now, here's the catch. Numbers is the longest of the five books that Moses wrote. Um, but it should have only been 13 chapters long. And we'll explain that in a, in a bit. And uh, not that Moses made a mistake in writing it, but, but the book of Numbers was not in the perfect plan of God designed to be as long as it is. So, but just to start out, okay, so what's Numbers? Well, the first 10 chapters of Numbers, um, Numbers is really divided into two sections, um, kind of the first 14 chapters and then the rest of the book, all right? So the first 10 chapters, we see God's preparation for war, all right? The Lord says, okay, you guys are going to enter the promised land. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a census. That's chapter one. I want you to know how many people you have so you're aware of just some of the logistics, um, he wraps up some of, here's the duties of the priest once you get into the land. Here's the duties that I'll expect you guys to have when it comes to remembering the feast. He's giving them just some basics. Um, you know, here's sort of the final, final stuff before we go, all right? So the first 10 chapters 
are really the Lord's preparation to the people. The Lord is getting ready for the people to go into the land. He tells Moses, hey, I want you to make two trumpets. That you're going to use these. These are going to signal for the nation when you're going to war. Okay, like we're, we're laying down not just, you know, the spiritual side, but also some really straight up logistics. All right, that's first 10 chapters is God's preparation. Chapters 11 and 12, we see the people's preparation. And the people are getting ready to enter the promised land, right? They've been taken out of Egypt, Okay, they've seen all the plagues that God brought on the Egyptians. They saw the Nile River turn to blood. They saw all the frogs and the flies and the hail mixed with fire and the darkness that was so dark you could feel it. They saw the firstborn die. They saw the Red Sea parted. They've been in the desert now for a little while, um, being led by the Lord. They've seen the Lord provide water. They've seen a place where the water was bitter. They couldn't drink it. The Lord made it sweet. They've seen the Lord provide food. So they're getting ready to go into the promised land with this huge, you know, uh, repertoire of past miracles of the Lord. And uh, chapter 11, verse 1, we see their prep. Now the people, chapter 11, verse 1, now the people became like those who complain of, of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. So the people are going to start getting ready to go into the promised land. And they start to prepare to go to the promised land by complaining. Right? Which is, you know, if you're ready to go to war, complaining is not really... Uh, a great approach. But we see all through chapter 11, we're going to see all through chapter 12. Uh, Moses at one point says, God, basically these people are complaining so much, if this isn't going to solve itself, would you please just kill me? Okay, that's in uh, verse 15. If I have found favor in your sight, please kill me at once and don't let me see my own wretchedness. Okay, God, I cannot handle this much complaining. And Israel's just, they're saying, hey, we don't have, you know, our food is just not ideal right? All we have is manna. All we have, manna, is what the Lord had miraculously provided for them. It's what angels eat. Um, you know, it, it's, the, it's the bread from heaven, right? It's like the angel buffet. The Lord sends it down and people say, you know, this is just a little, like, old, right? Like, this is so yesterday, right? So they're, they're uh, you know, Deuteronomy tells us it's an 11-day journey from where they're at here to get to the promised land. They're 11 days away. If they go slow, they're two weeks away from entering the promised land. They say, you know what? This divine bread and providence stuff is just really, like, lame, right? We need some meat. And they even, you know, the scriptures help, are helpful to give us just a context, right? Uh, they say, who's going to give us meat to eat? Verse 5, we remember the fish which we used to eat for free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. We had an all-you-could-eat garlic buffet in Egypt, for crying out loud. And we're stuck with manna, right? All you had to pay was your life in bondage and slavery. That was like all we had to do, just build cities for our entire lives, and they would murder all of our male sons. But other than that, it was really a pretty decent food structure. Okay, the people are getting ready to go into the promised land and they are warping their own ability to see the hand of the Lord, right? They're preparing. And, and everything we do in life, you know, we see this throughout numbers, everything is preparation for something, right? There's always something coming down the road. Most often we can't really see what it is, okay? But whatever we are doing right now is preparing us for that. And it's either preparing us for that in a good way or preparing us for that in a bad way. So the Lord is preparing the people, I say, hey, here's what you're going to need to know. Here's how you get ready. The people are preparing, but they're not preparing to walk in victory, right? They're preparing to doubt the Lord. It goes on. They say, we just have to have meat, okay? Manna is so yesterday. And so the Lord says, fine, I'll bring you meat. I'll bring you quail. It says the Lord brings quail. He, um, 
And it's, it's so miraculous. Moses has trouble believing this. Moses says, God, you're not going to be able to get quail for all the people. And the Lord says, excuse me, have my arms been shortened? Right? Um, so the Lord brings quail for all the people. And he says, you're going to eat till it comes out of your nose. I listened to a pastor teach on this this week. He said, there's only two ways food ever comes out your nose. Right? One is because you're laughing really hard. And the other is because you're vomiting really hard. So hard that your mouth is not a big enough opening. Right? So the Lord says, you guys are going to eat this stuff till you vomit it out. And the people get their quail. They eat it so fast and so aggressively. They're so lusting after this meat that the Lord kills them because they are so debased in their cravings. Okay? And so that's their preparation. And then chapter 12, it's just a little more of the same, except instead of it just being the people, now we see some of the higher-ranking leadership. Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, start to complain. They say, you know what, Moses? You're really taking just a little too much of this on yourself. Like, I know God called you, God appointed you, God chose you, but really, let's face it, we're all the children of God, right? Like, this should be a democracy, right? And it should be equal rights. Where, you know, like, why do you think you have the audacity to tell us what the Lord is saying? And the Lord comes down and deals with Moses and Aaron with, sorry, Aaron and Miriam. The Lord says, um, excuse me, I picked out Moses, right? And I know what I'm doing, and you are welcome to drop the subject. All right, so the people are preparing to go into the land, but they're not really preparing well, right? Everything we do is preparation, but we get to choose if we're going to prepare well or prepare poorly. And then chapter 13, so we start to, so chapter 13 and 14 is sort of the next chunk. And this is really the pivotal turning point in the book of Numbers, all right? Chapter 13, they get, they take that 11-day journey, they're at, they're on the opposite side of the Jordan River, they're ready to go into the promised land. They say, all right, we're going to send 12 spies into the land. We're going to get sort of an overview of the logistics so we know what we're looking at, what we're doing. The 12 spies go in the land. They're there for 40 days. They come back. They say, all right, the food there is incredible. The land is amazing. It's rich. It's fertile. It's totally blessed by the Lord. And what should happen right there is the book of Numbers should end and we should go to Joshua chapter 1. But what happens instead is the spies keep going. They say, but the people in the land are huge. The cities in the land are fortified and they're strong. And frankly, there is no way we can conquer this land. Right? Forget the fact that the Lord just brought us through the Red Sea. Forget the fact that the Lord just destroyed the entire army of Egypt, which at that point was the greatest army in the world. Okay? Forget that fact. We've got all these tribal kingdoms that we're coming up against and there's just frankly no way that God is capable of, of pulling us through this, right? That's what the spies' conclusion is. Ten of those twelve spies say that. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, say, no, 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 no. Don't you remember? God brought us through the Red Sea. God brought us through the ten plagues. God has led us in the wilderness, right? He's given us water. He's given us manna. He's given us his law, right? I think God is actually capable of doing this. And the influence of the ten spies spreads in one night to the entire nation. The entire nation says there is no way we are going to be able to do this. Um, and we see specifically in chapter 14, verse 2, well, chapter 14, verse 1, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So the whole camp is sobbing all night long because God has brought us this far and now he's just completely failed. He's dropped the ball. We're all going to die. 
All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? They probably had that actual wine going, you know. Um, so they say, you know what? It would have been better if we died in the wilderness. And in chapter 14, the Lord says, okay, you know what? Your wish is granted. You're going to die in the wilderness. The Lord says, I opened up the promised land for you. I offered it to you. It was a free invitation, and you refused to step into it. So you know what? You asked to die in the wilderness. You're going to die in the wilderness. So Israel, now the Lord says, okay, the spies were in the promised land for 40 days. You're going to wander in the wilderness a day for each year. You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. And this whole generation, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, is going to die off and a new generation is going to rise up. And that generation is going to go into the promised land. So the people were preparing to enter the promised land, right? But their preparation led them to doubt the Lord. And so what winds up happening is they miss out on the blessing of the Lord to enter into the promised land. And so that's why we say that the book of Numbers really, in a perfect world, would have stopped at chapter 13. But it doesn't. It then goes on all the way through chapter 36. We get an extra 22 chapters of wandering. Right? And honestly, there's a lot that happens in Numbers, but in some senses the book does feel a little monotonous. And it's because wandering is pretty dang monotonous. Right? There's not a lot of, like, thrill. Like, what are we going to do today, guys? Well, you see that pile of sand? Yeah? We're going to walk all the way over to that pile of sand. Cool. What are we going to do tomorrow? You see where we're standing right now? Yeah? We're going to walk all the way back to this pile of sand. For 40 years. That's a really long time to walk through the sand. Right? Like, sand is, is cool for, like, a vacation. Right? Maybe a week. Maybe 10 days. 12 days. It's getting a little old. Right? No. 40 years, the Lord says. You guys are going to wander for 40 years. And so what happens is because they refuse to obey, they experience the consequences of God. Now, uh, for the rest of the book, there's a couple of different, there's, there's a lot that does happen in the rest of the book. But for the purposes of tonight, we're going to look at three main things that happen. All right. So in chapter 20, and most of these three things, really, there's almost nothing written about those 40 years. All right. Really, it pretty much jumps to about the 38th year because there's really nothing to write about when you're wandering, right? When you've disobeyed the Lord and you're suffering the consequences from that, there's really nothing to write about, okay? So really, the rest of the numbers is going to encapsulate pretty much the last, like, two years by and large of that wandering. So in chapter 20, it's been a long time. Most people have died off. Miriam now, Moses' sister, dies. And then they come to this place and there's no water. And the people complain. They say, you know what? We don't have any water. They've been complaining probably for 40 years. Moses has had it up to here, and he snaps. All right? And the Lord says, okay, Moses, I'm going to provide water. I want you to go to that rock, and you speak to the rock, and water's going to come out. And Moses, um, chapter 20, verse 9, says, Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water from you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beast drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. 
Those were the waters of Meribah because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord and he proved himself holy among them. So Moses and Aaron both, at this, you know, you have to wonder for 38 years, Moses gave the word of the Lord. He said, Joshua and Caleb are the only ones from this generation who are going to go into the land. What do you think, like, did he ever wonder, what about me? Because I wasn't, you know, I was okay, right? Why, why did the Lord say Joshua and Caleb? Right? And somehow the Lord knew, that doesn't make Moses guiltless, because the Lord says to Moses, you speak to the rock, and I want water to come out. And Moses and Aaron go out to the rock, and Moses strikes the rock. So what's he doing there? Well, back in Exodus, a similar situation had occurred. They ran out of water. Moses, the Lord said, you strike the rock. So Moses struck the rock and water comes out. So what happens is God is doing a similar thing, but he wants to change it. And Moses says, I'm going to do what I'm comfortable with. All right? So Moses does a couple things here, and it's important for us as we're looking. Um, first of all, Moses misrepresents God to the people. And it's a very serious thing. Whenever we wear the label as Christian, whenever we're in a position of authority, right, we are representing the Lord. In every context, in every situation, every person we're around, we're representing the Lord. And the Lord takes that very seriously because the Lord is holy. We, you know, we spent all week, last week, talking about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. If you're representing the holiness of God by claiming to be a Christian, the Lord takes that seriously. That doesn't mean there's no grace if you stumble because we all stumble. But that means that you need to live with an awareness that I'm representing a holy God. The other thing Moses does if you remember last week, we talked about, and we'll probably talk about it a lot this year, actually. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about how the things that happened to Israel happened as an example to us. And he specifically references the rock that the water came out of. He says the rock was Christ. All right, so what happens here, as we're talking about types and pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, the rock was supposed to be a picture of Christ. And the Lord is setting up this picture. He's establishing a type, and Moses destroys it. All right? What the Lord wanted was for us to be able to look back and say, the rock is a type. The rock was struck once and water comes out. And now, forevermore, we just speak to the rock. Because Jesus calls himself the rock. Right? So what happened? Jesus, the rock, was struck how many times? Once. He was crucified. He does not get crucified again. Right? How do you receive forgiveness from God now? You ask. You speak to the rock. Jesus also said, out of me flows living waters to anybody who's thirsty, right? So what happens with Moses and the rock is supposed to be a picture or a type of Jesus Christ. And Moses, because he gets angry, messes up that type. And the Lord takes that seriously, right? So, so first of all, okay, we're seeing Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, right? But second of all, wherever we're at, we're still representing the Lord and we're still setting up types. If you're in a marriage, okay, a marriage is a type of the gospel, the role of the husband is supposed to be a type of how Jesus Christ loves the church. The role of the wife is supposed to be a type of how the church responds to Jesus Christ. Right? So you're living a type. And you say, you, you can't tell us that because you're single. I'm single in part because I know that that's a heavy weight. Right? I'd still like to get married. Don't get me wrong. But marriage is a type. If you're representing Jesus Christ just by the simple fact that you are married, take that seriously. Okay, so that's one of the main events that we see in the book of Numbers. One of the next things we see is um, over like chapter 22 to chapter 25, we see this character named Balaam. And this is again, as Israel's getting ready to go into the land, they've conquered a couple of the nations on the outskirts of the land where they're going. 
And the neighboring countries are starting to get really nervous. And so uh, the king of one of these countries hires a prophet to curse the nation of Israel. And it's, this long, it's, it's kind of a long, complicated story, so we're not going to go too in-depth in it, okay? But this prophet says, he, talk, he says, let me ask the Lord. He's got this whole weird, like, quasi-God thing going on. So um, he says, well, ask the Lord if I can curse his people. And the Lord says, no, you can't. He says, are you sure? And the Lord kind of says, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can't curse my people. And then he tries to go anyways, and the Lord sends an angel to stop him. And that's where we get the whole story of Balaam's donkey talking to Balaam because the donkey saw the angel and Balaam didn't. And then the Lord says, okay, tell you what, you go with this guy, but you're only going to say what I tell you to say. So Balaam's this prophet, and he's got some weird mystical powers stuff that uh, is demonic, but, but the Lord sort of supersedes and says, you know what, I'm just going to take over this situation. All right, so Balaam gets hired to curse the Israelites, and he winds up um, giving these just incredible blessings upon Israel, right? Uh, he says he's going to tear down all his enemies. He says the Messiah is going to come from these people. He looks at a king who hired him and said basically, sorry, bud, you're toast, right? And that's like his, he's prophesying, okay? And we see this interesting thing that as the people are wandering, the Lord is still taking care of them. The Lord is still protecting them, all right? And, and you know, in a lot of ways, Numbers is a, is a fascinating book because, uh, you know, as we talked about, Egypt is in a lot of ways a type of, of our life of sin that we've been brought out of, right? Well, the promised land then becomes a type of the victory and the life and the abundance that we can have in Jesus Christ. Okay, a lot of the church over time has looked at the promised land sort of as a picture of heaven, but really it's, I think it's much more accurate to look at it as a picture of the victorious life we have in Christ because there's still battles, there's still struggles, there's still occasional setbacks, but the people are walking in victory, right? So, the wilderness wandering is a type of the life we can choose to have, right? The Israelites didn't wander in the wilderness for 38 years because they had no choice. They wandered because they chose to wander. They chose to not accept what the Lord was calling them to, right? And if we've been brought out of Egypt, we have the opportunity to go into the victorious life that God offers us. But a lot of us at various points in our life, can waste huge chunks just kind of wandering in the desert, right? And it's important to understand, if you're in one of those seasons, or if you've been in one of those seasons, you're still a child of God, right? You're still God's people. It references elsewhere in the scriptures that, you know, he gave them manna the entire time they were wandering. Their shoes did not wear out. Their clothes did not wear out the entire time they were wandering, okay? They were, the Lord was still taking care of them, but they were so short of what the Lord had created them to be. Right? By their own choices, they had pulled themselves back from what the Lord was offering. And so, you know, we see this also in, in the story of Balaam, that if you want to live a life of wandering and a life of just sort of floundering along in Christianity, right, you can still be saved, you can still go to heaven. And if that's what you, if, that, if you want to walk up to the edge of the promised land and say, no thanks, I'm good, the Lord will let you do that. But you will sell yourself super short. So he'll still protect you like he did with Balaam, Okay, but it, it's so much less than it could be. And then lastly, kind of the last main chunk, uh, to elaborate even a little further on this point, in chapter 32, three of the tribes come to Moses, and they say, hey, okay, we're getting ready to cross the river. The promised land is on the other side of the river. Here's the deal. 
we've been looking around, and this spot we're at right now is pretty awesome for livestock, and we've got a ton of livestock. So we're thinking maybe it'd be cool if the three of us stayed over here on this side, and everybody else went over and took the promised land. All right. And the reason they give is that they have much livestock. All right? And this just ties in further with that whole idea of wandering. That they're like, you know what? That's the promised land. That's what we've been waiting for for 40 years. That's what God has promised us. That's what he pulled us out of Egypt for. But, you know, it just might not be that great for our assets. Right? It might, it might hold back our sheep breeding program. Right? It might, it might just... I don't know, just, I, as I'm crunching the numbers here, I just think this is better right here. I think sticking on this side of, of God's promise is going to turn out to be a much better thing. And what's fascinating is the Lord says, okay. The Lord says, all right, you can stay on that side of the Jordan. You don't have to come, right? And if we choose, you know, for each one of us, if we're looking at this as, as a lesson for our lives, if we choose to say, you know what, I'd rather play it safe, the Lord will say, okay. Right? We can still be Christian, we can still go to heaven, we can still have all that kind of stuff. But we can miss out on so much more. Because right? the Lord is not inviting us to come out of Egypt so that we can then sit in the desert. Right? He's not inviting us to come out of Egypt so we can walk up to the edge of his promises and say, no, I think I'm good. Right? He's inviting us to come out of Egypt to skip the wandering and to go straight into the promised land. The Lord is inviting us to have a full, victorious life. He's not inviting us to have this, you know, peppy party where everything is perfect. He's inviting us, like we said in the beginning, to prepare for war. Because he's calling us into a life of victory. Right? In all of Paul's letters, Paul references this several times. He talks about, you know, you're, you're called to put on the armor of God. Right? You're, he's like, I'm, I'm fighting like a fighter. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm fighting like somebody who wants to win a fight. Okay, we live with a sense of awareness, with a sense of purpose, with a sense of readiness for spiritual war, all right? Because the Lord is inviting us to go into the promised land. And so, Book of Numbers basically wraps up there, and um, next we will get into Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is basically going to be a retelling of the law, because that whole first generation died off. And so now as they're getting ready to go into the next generation, they say, let's, let's go over this one more time, right? But... Just briefly as we're wrapping up, you know, we want to look for Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And Numbers, honestly, um, is just full of it. Uh, it's just full of references to Christ. And you could really spend uh, a good teaching or two unpacking it. But um, maybe primarily, as I was just looking at it, you know, when Moses uh, loses his temper and he strikes the rock, the Lord says, okay, you are not going to take the people into the land. Joshua is going to take the people into the land. Joshua's going to be the leader. And there's an interesting picture there because what happens throughout the rest of the scriptures is Moses becomes a picture of the law, of the Old Testament. Joshua's going to become a picture of Jesus Christ. And the law cannot take us into the promised land. The law can bring us up to the edge, right? Following rules, the this and that, and the do's and don'ts can bring us up to the edge of a victorious life. But if you want to enter into victorious life, you're going to have to do it under Joshua. Now, interestingly, Joshua's name was originally Hosea. And it says in the scripture that Moses changed his name to Joshua. In Hebrew, he would have actually probably changed his name to Yeshua because Hebrew has no J sound. So his name was Hosea. Moses changed his name to Yeshua. Yeshua is going to lead them into the promised land. Now, 
A couple thousand years later, what is it? It's not quite a couple, no. Thousand-ish years later, Jesus Christ is going to be born. Interestingly, we sometimes miss this in American Christianity. What was Jesus' name? Jesus was the Greek form of his name. Okay? And so, you know, the Greek was a common language of the day. He would have been called that throughout his life. But his name, really, in Hebrew, was Yeshua. Right? And we miss that sometimes because, you know, we don't name our kids Jesus out of respect and all of that. But really, Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? And in his humanity, he picked a common name. He was known, I mean, he would have been Josh to everybody in the neighborhood, right? There's Josh, that kid who never seems to get in trouble, right? So he was, super, he was fully man, but he's a picture. But Joshua in the Old Testament becomes a picture of Jesus Christ because the Israelites would have said, all right, Yeshua is our leader and Yeshua is the one who's going to bring us into the promised land. And for us as Christians today, if we want to enter into victorious life, well, who's going to bring us there? Yeshua. Jesus Christ is going to be there, bring us there, right? Rules can bring us very close, right? You can, knowing all about God, knowing all the different, you know, technicalities and the, and the knowledge of God, that can bring you very close, but it will not bring you across, right? There's a, difference between, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And so Numbers is really all about that difference. And really, that's the whole scripture. The whole scripture is about that invitation to not just know about God, it's the invitation to know God. Right? That's what Numbers is giving us. Numbers is giving us that picture of Christ and that warning to say, hey, the invitation is there to cross into the promised land. You can wander if you want, but think about what that's going to look like. Right? The wilderness wandering brings them nothing except death. But the entering the promised land is going to bring challenge, it's going to bring hardship, but it's going to bring a level of vitality and an abundant life that they never could have imagined otherwise. So, that is the book of Numbers, all right? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the goodness and the richness that's there in it for us. We pray that uh, as we're going through it this year, that it would continue to speak to our hearts and that it would impact our lives. We pray that, that you would be glorified as we live out the truths that we find in it. I pray that, uh, that you would fix our eyes on you, God, that we wouldn't just learn about you as we're reading your word, but that we would truly know you more that we would experience a deeper fellowship with the relationship that we get to have with jesus christ i pray that you would do that work in our in our hearts in a mighty and powerful way and it is in the name of jesus christ that we pray amen